You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. we got episode number 22 coming at you here in the next few minutes, and we're going to give you an update on all the teams in the NFC East, and we're going to open up the Eye on the Enemy mailbag. we got some good questions on Twitter about uh, some of the uh, Eagles' uh, opponents here in the NFC East, and we'll get into all that coming up in the next few minutes. But let's jump right in here, and let's get you up to date on everything that's been going on here during the dead zone with your uh, with, the, with the Cowboys and with Washington and with New York. And, you know, like I said... It's kind of a dead zone right now. Uh, We're all waiting for training camp to start. We're all keeping our fingers crossed, first of all, that training camp is going to start. Obviously, most of you who follow what's going on with the pandemic and the start of the NFL season know that Dr. Anthony Fauci kind of threw some cold water on the possibility of having football this year, specifically because it's it's played in the colder months. And that's when a lot of uh, the top infectious disease experts in the country are worried that we're going to get a second wave of coronavirus, let alone the fact I don't think we've finished with the first wave here at this point. And so uh, we saw uh, last week that a number of Cowboys and Texans players, I think four combined, uh, were diagnosed as being positive with the coronavirus. One of them, of course, running back Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, he was reportedly asymptomatic, but he and three other players on the Cowboys and Texans uh, were yeah, it came down positive for COVID-19. And this this sheds a lot of light on some very thorny issues that could throw a huge monkey wrench into the NFL season this year. It's what happens if players during the season are diagnosed with coronavirus. What how, what do they do? How do these teams handle it? What I, I think the NFL is working on a proposal. But Dr. Fauci certainly seems to think that getting an NFL season in here this year is problematic. And based on what we've seen, and for those of you who don't follow Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball had to shut down all of its spring training facilities because of an outbreak in Phillies camp. We had five, at least five players and three staff members who tested positive and a couple dozen more who are being tested because they had exposure to those guys. What if that happens during an NFL season? I think most of us have thought since the NFL doesn't begin until September that there would be plenty of time from the start of the pandemic to the start of the NFL season for for things to get under control. But the fall is when the cold weather hits, and this is typically when flu season begins. And so uh, as we saw with the Cowboys and with Ezekiel Elliott, it's possible that even during the summertime, NFL players are going to come down with COVID-19. And uh, it's certainly reasonable to think that it's going to be nearly impossible to keep the disease away from football players and away from team facilities once it gets colder out. So that's kind of a a dark cloud hovering over the sport here as we enter the summer months. But in the meantime, uh, let's talk a little bit about what these teams are doing here in the offseason as they get ready to try and play a 2020 season. And obviously, when we start talking about the Dallas Cowboys, the first name we think of is Dak Prescott, because that contract situation is still up in the air. There is a July 15th deadline in which a deal for a 
contract extension has to get done or it has to wait until the season is over. And Jay Glazer was asked if there was a chance that Dak would hold out without a deal. But as Glazer noted, that's not going to happen. The Cowboy, he, see, he believes the Cowboys are going to do what's necessary to make Dak Prescott happy. What that involves could be a shorter contract than what the Cowboys want. Uh, last I read, Dak Prescott wants a four-year deal. The Cowboys want to give him a five-year deal. But we're talking about a salary in the mid to upper $30 million range, more than Carson Wentz is getting. And so while I like Dak Prescott a lot, is he worth being the number two highest paid quarterback in the NFL? Is is is, is I mean, that's the going rate. That's what it's going to be, especially if Patrick Mahomes signs a, a mega deal over $40 million, as we talked about on a previous episode of the podcast as well. So uh, as far as Dak holding out, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because the whole reason Dak would hold out is to hold out for the contract extension. But if the team can't negotiate an extension after July 15th, then the only other reason Dak Prescott would hold out would be to force a trade. And I don't think anybody sees that as a likely scenario. The Cowboys can uh, extend the franchise tag on him again next year, so the Cowboys aren't under any pressure. I mean, you, you it could be a Jamal Adams-type situation where Dak Prescott just makes it known he doesn't want to be there anymore, but I don't think we're seeing that from Dak. I don't think the... The negotiations have become contentious. I think Dak still loves the Cowboys organization, so nobody sees that as a likely scenario. So I, I think what we're looking at here is Dak Prescott is going to get paid. It's going to happen, but it may not happen this year. It may happen next offseason uh, when the Cowboys have to decide who they want to apply the franchise tag to. So Dak's going to make a ton of money this year. He's going to make a ton of money on the franchise tag, and he's going to he's going to play well, and the Cowboys will be in the same position next year if they don't come to an agreement here by July 15th. I mentioned Jamal Adams just a second ago, the outstanding safety from the New York Jets, and he is itching to get out of New York. And uh, our good friend Joe Douglas has a, has a little bit of a headache on his hands. Now, the Jets are under really no pressure to get rid of him other than the pressure that Adams is applying himself. He's he's still on his rookie contract, so he's he's got two more years. He is cheap and he's a two-time pro bowler. He's one of the best young safeties in the game. He's set to make almost $9.9 million next year uh, in the final year of his contract in 2021. And New York wants a first round pick for Jamal Adams, which I think is a reasonable ask. He's one of the two or three best safeties in the game. And the Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles were both among a list of teams that Jamal Adams tweeted out that he would like to be traded to. Now, of all those teams, only the Eagles have are negative in cap space for 2021. The, the Eagles are an NFL worst $50.6 million over the cap for 2021. As of now, the Cowboys are $36.1 million under the cap. But we don't really know what the cap is going to look like for next year with no fans in the stands, with no revenue coming in from the NFL for, for ticket sales and for and for in-stadium merchandise sales and concessions and all that kind of stuff, parking. And each team does it a little bit differently. But the salary cap is going to come down next year. So the Eagles are going to have a really hard time fill, fitting in Adams, who, again, is, is going to make just shy of $10 million next year. Hard to see how the Eagles can, can make that work. Now, if you're looking for a potential deal... What kind of compensation? I've seen people throwing around stuff like one of the two tight ends, Goddard or Ertz, and a second-round pick and maybe something else for, for Jamal Adams. I don't think that gets it done. And, and frankly, I'm not looking to trade Ertz or Goddard 
for Jamal Adams? Because not only then do you give up a prime young position player, you're also giving up a high draft pick, and you've got to sign the guy to an extension. You're not giving up all of that capital just for two years of the guy. So, it, what I mean, if you wanted to give up a first-rounder for Jamal Adams and then have to sign him, I would do that rather than give away... Uh, and I'm listen. If you if, if they'll take Alshon Jeffrey in a in a second round pick, then fine. I, I might even do Alshon in a first. But uh, if they're looking for a first round pick and then another second round pick or something like that, I'd rather give up Alshon or another player than do that. But th- there there could be a deal to be made as far as trade compensation. But the salary really is an issue for the Eagles. Not as much for the Cowboys. They are thirty six million dollars under the cap for next year, as I mentioned a minute ago, and. Dallas does have a secondary that could use an impact player like Jamal Adams, very much like the Eagles could could use Adams in the secondary. And I've got a question in the mailbag coming up about secondary, so I'm going to save the rest of my thoughts on that for that particular question. But I think it makes a lot more sense for Dallas to pull the trigger on a Jamal Adams deal than it does for the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's move on to Washington. And I am going to dip into the mailbag for the Washington update because there's not a lot of on-field stuff going on with Washington at the moment, but it's the off-field stuff. It's it's the protests the, that are that have been going on around the country that are now starting to uh, come into play here in the NFL, and specifically with Washington and their team name. And you've heard me on this podcast. I have slipped up and said the name on more than one occasion just because I, I've been used to saying the name for years and years and years and years, and it's so hard not to call a team by their nickname. You just... Instead of saying Washington every time, Washington, 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 D.C. team, D.C. team, it takes your brain a second or two to remember, oh, yeah, that's that's probably a name we shouldn't use. But um, what's going on right now with Washington and their team name is with, with all of uh, with, with all these other uh, brands and products like Aunt Jemima, uh, Land O'Lakes, uh, taking down what what many feel are racist depictions or stereotype depictions of different races and genders and and, and, and all that. You have uh, you have calls now for any racist logos in sports to be changed, and of course Washington's logo, Washington's team name is is chief among them. This has been a big story for, gosh, a decade now. It was, is when it really started to 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 hit the front pages, and uh, it was it got quiet again for a few years, but now but now it's back up and running. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser basically said that the whole reason the team can't get a new stadium inside Washington, D.C., and why they can't get permission to to establish their headquarters inside D.C. is because of the team name. Uh, a recent study found that nearly half of respondents considered Washington's uh, name offensive. Uh, that number grew into the mid-60s with people who identified as strongly Native American. Now, the team has not made any comment about a possible name change as I record this on Saturday morning. We know that owner Dan Snyder over the years has shown absolutely no indication that he'd changed the name. So it's probably going to take pressure from the other 31 owners against Snyder to get him to change the team name. He has been obstinate when it comes to this idea. But we are in a climate now, a social climate now. So this is in response to a question by at Brendan Ekstrom, who said, how the heck is Washington still calling the team the Redskins? And it's a great question. And I don't know that it's going to happen for much longer. We're already seeing the team, um, or we're already seeing signs that uh, that that Washington fans have have decided that the team's history needs to be shaken up a little bit. A monument to George Preston Marshall, who was the longtime owner of Washington, was torn down outside RFK Stadium on Friday. And the D.C. government, which owns and operates RFK Stadium, they're the ones who took it down. They say it should have happened a long time ago. 
In a statement released by Events DC, the government said Marshall's racism, which included keeping his team segregated well after the rest of the NFL had integrated, made him unfit for such a memorial. And I think it was 16 years after the league integrated that Washington uh, became the last team to do that. And if you're feeling great about in Philadelphia about, the, uh, you know, trying to uh, a little bit of moral superiority, just remember that the Phillies were among the last Major League Baseball teams to integrate as well. So Marshall still has a bust in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He was inducted as a contributor back in 1963, and the Hall has, has never removed a member. But you could see calls for that to happen. But we're, we're all, And now that decision to remove the bust of Marshall was not made by Dan Snyder. It was not made by Washington, D.C. It was made by Events, D.C. But it's all part of this growing movement. It's all part of the peaceful protests that have been going on around the country. And it's it'll be very hard, I think, at this point for Daniel Snyder to continue to resist the calls for the team to change their name. But I think until the other owners get involved and prod him and pressure him to do it, it's probably still not going to happen, but we, we are in a climate now where things can change is forced upon people who might be reluctant to it. And so we will see if that happens with Dan Snyder here and his team name. Uh, I saw an interesting piece about players who could surprise this year for different teams. And, and one of the names I thought was interesting was for Washington, and it's running back Bryce Love. For those of you who don't know who Love was, he was taken in the fourth round of last year's draft. He had an ACL tear in his senior year, which is why he fell to the fourth year to the fourth round. But in his junior season, he rushed for over 2,100 yards and 19 touchdowns, was the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, and was a Heisman Trophy runner-up. Had he been healthy in 2018, it's possible he would have been a first or second round pick. But, you know, so there's questions about whether or not he can be durable enough to, to, to be healthy for a full season. But when you look at what Washington has at the skill position, this is a spot where somebody who has talent can emerge. You have Darius Geis. You have Antonio Gibson, who they drafted this year in the third round. They probably reached for Antonio Gibson. And, of course, you have the aging Adrian Peterson, who will still be around. But none of these guys are guys you can you can definitely pencil in as being a 20 to 25 carry guy. And I don't think Love is that guy either. But if he's healthy, maybe this is a guy who you find your future in, in the backfield because I think Antonio Gibson is going to be as much a receiver as a running back. Darius Geis has some talent, but he has yet to put it together. He has yet to stay healthy. So if you're looking for a member of, of the, of the Washington team, I did it again of the Washington football team uh, to, to surprise here in 2020, if there is a season, I think running back Bryce love is probably your best candidate. All right, moving on to the New York giants. Only a few days ago, the giants were perfectly set at the kicking position. That was until Aldrich Rosas, who was a restricted free agent and was re-signed to a one-year deal worth $3.2 million. That's before he was arrested in Chico, California on a misdemeanor hit-and-run charge along with driving with a suspended license. The California Highway Patrol report said that alcohol impairment is believed to be a factor in the collision. So it looks like the, the, the Giants, if they decide to release Rosas, could be looking for uh, a new kicker. Some of the options that have been floated out there, Steven Guskowski and maybe even Adam Vinatieri. Of course, Joe Judge, a former New England coach, is, um, is with the New York Giants. But Vinatieri hasn't been with New England for quite a while. I'm not sure that he and Joe Judge's paths have crossed in the past or not. Uh, but uh, there's a possibility here the Giants could be looking for a new kicker uh, based on uh, what's been going on with Rosas here over these last few days. One of the interesting things I've seen about the Giants over the past week was 
Uh, a survey by Sports Illustrated who listed a number of weaknesses for every NFL team, and I couldn't believe it. They listed quarterback as one of the Giants' weaknesses here. Here's what Sports Illustrated wrote. I think a more imaginative approach to the offense and a healthy Saquon Barkley will alleviate a lot of Daniel Jones's struggles in 2019, as terrible and dated as that sounds. The Giants also theoretically improved their offensive line drastically with the selection of Andrew Thomas at number four in the draft. Still, we're going off what we know at the moment, and last year the Giants were incredibly ineffective throwing the ball, especially against zone defenses. The Giants were also among the worst teams in the NFL against the Blitz and when facing pressure. And that's all very true. But again, as the as the write-up says, they had they had a lot of offensive line trouble. Andrew Thomas at left tackle. He's a rookie, but this is a rookie I think most people think will hold his own here in season number one. And I saw a lot of good things from Daniel Jones as the season went on. I thought he progressed really well for a rookie, as you've heard me say, on a number of occasions. If you're looking at issues that the Giants have that are way worse than the quarterback position, look to the secondary. Look to the pass rush. Look at the fact that they don't have a true number one wide receiver. Those are much bigger problems than the quarterback position. If I'm the New York Giants, I'm feeling pretty good about the quarterback position as far as things to worry about here in 2020. Now, that's not to say Daniel Jones is going to have a Pro Bowl season. He's still growing into the role as a franchise quarterback. But I think as a Giants fan, you've got to you've got to feel like you feel pretty well secure at quarterback here moving forward. So. I think Sports Illustrated is a little bit off base here with uh, their list of the number of weaknesses of every NFL team and identifying quarterback as the main weakness for the New York Giants. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dip into the Eye on the Enemy mailbag here and answer some of your Twitter questions about what's going on around the NFC East. We'll do that next here on Eye on the Enemy. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L. V-A-N-29.com. And we're back with Eye on the Enemy. So let's open up the E-O-T-E mailbag here. And uh, let's go to uh, at Irish Eagles, who asks, assuming Brandon Graham, Derek Barnett, and Josh Sweat are the top three guys at defensive end, who's fourth in snap counts for the Eagles here in 2020? This is really the only uh, Eagles question we're going to answer, but the rest of them will get into the NFC East. But I thought this was a good one to start with, and I, I think it's down to two guys. Number four on the on the depth chart right now is Sharif Miller, but I think you also have to look at Jannard Avery, who's not a guy we talk about a whole lot, but here's a guy who the Eagles traded a fourth-round draft pick for last year. Obviously, there's something that Howie Roseman and the scouting department saw in Avery that made them think he was worth investing a fourth-round pick for, it's a day three pick for sure, but fourth rounders, you expect to be 
a contributor to your NFL team. So basically, Jannard Avery is acting as a fourth round pick from this past season. And you're hoping that at at the edge position, and he's listed on the depth chart for our lads as number two behind Derek Barnett at right defensive end. So I think that he's going to get into the mix here at some point. It wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being the number four guy. Now, Again, the Eagles are going to probably be rotating their top three guys most often, but the number four guy in the, on the edge does get into the mix here. So uh, I think what we're looking at is, is, is Gennard, I, I'm Listen, I'm hoping that Gennard Avery is the fourth guy. Otherwise, that was a, that, that's a brutal trade where you just throw away a fourth-round pick for absolutely nothing. They got nothing out of him last year. I don't think he had a single defensive snap in, in 2019. So... This was obviously a trade that they made with 2020 in mind. And so you would think Jannard Avery will get a shot at being the number four defensive end here for the Philadelphia Eagles. At D underscore Tommy asks, Jamal Adams for Goddard, Miller, and a 2021 third round pick. Again, David, I don't I I, I don't think that the Eagles are looking to move Goddard or Ertz. I just don't. And I don't think Jalen Mills has a whole lot of of uh, a whole lot of trade value at this point. And a 2012 third, no, that doesn't come anywhere close to getting it done. Unfortunately, you're going to have to give up a first round pick for this. If you're going to, if Joe Douglas really values Dallas Goddard or Zach Ertz, he probably values Ertz more than than Goddard. Although Goddard does have a bright future, a longer future in front of him. But if it's Goddard, I think you have to give up a number one pick anyway. I just don't. I just don't think Goddard is valuable enough to warrant a. Th- and 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 Jalen Mills again doesn't have a whole lot of trade value. There's a reason the Eagles are moving him off of cornerback. He's not good enough to play there. And well, it's not that he's not good enough to play there. He's not a top shelf cornerback. And they have a need obviously at safety with Malcolm Jenkins no longer around. So they're going to throw Jalen Mills in there. But there's no guarantee Jalen Mills is going to take to that position. So that's just not a deal that's even close to getting it done. For, for Joe Douglas and, and the New York Jets. It's going to have to involve a first-round pick. I, I can't imagine anything other than a first-round pick getting it done. At Nova underscore Wolverine asks, with the Eagles' O-line now being less than great, and since all of the other NFC East teams have loaded up on D-line talent, can we really expect the same amount of offensive success out of the Eagles? This is a really good question because on the defensive side of the ball, the Cowboys had some work to do after they lost Malik Collins and uh, Robert Quinn to free agency, but... They did sign Gerald McCoy to a three-year deal worth $18.3 million. He's a six-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro. So that's a big upgrade from Collins on the inside. And uh, the team also went out and got Don Terry Poe uh, with, on a two-year deal. So the, the, the Cowboys' defensive line is looking pretty good. Alden, Alden Smith is going to be back. He was conditionally reinstated by the NFL. He's a former All-Pro. We don't really know exactly what we're going to get out of him here uh, in, uh, in, in 2020, but it certainly looks like he's a guy that could, uh, that could contribute on the defensive line for the Dallas Cowboys. And of course you've got Chase Young in Washington and Ryan Kerrigan on that defensive line. That's going to be a tough matchup for the Eagles on the outside because you don't have, I mean, you, you don't, you no longer have Brandon Brooks and, and he's, he's on the inside. He plays guard, but, um, there's a ripple effect to losing Brandon Brooks. That puts more pressure on Lane Johnson. Uh, you've got uh, Matt Pryor, who's going to probably get the first shot at uh, at taking over for Brandon Brooks. And, and Pryor was pretty good last year when he got a chance to play. At the left tackle position, you've got Andre Dillard, who showed some good things last year, but generally speaking, 
when he got a chance to play, struggled in, in many of his reps and in, in a lot of his games, especially so when he moved over to right tackle for that one disastrous half against the Seahawks in the regular season. But, I mean, you would expect that a guy who you, you picked in the first round would progress from year one to year two. He's got the best offensive line coach in football, Statland, uh, trying to get him on the straight and narrow. And we saw how good, uh, how productive Halapulavati Vitae turned out to be. Uh, Pryor was good in, in, in some of the time. And Isaac Samolo was um, an improving player. So I think if you're looking for any position where you can see a young player have the potential to get better, it's on the offensive line and Andre Dillard uh, at left tackle with Jason Peters still out there. And maybe the Eagles go out and they grab Jason Peters, but are you going to put him at right guard? Probably not. I can't imagine Peters would would want to do that. But um, you're right. I mean, there there is some there is some flux now to the Eagles' offensive line that hasn't been there. I think it'll still be a position of strength for this team. But when you've got Chase Young uh, now on the other side, and he's going to make an immediate impact as a rookie. There's no there's no doubt in my mind. He's he there's some talk. You know, can he set the rookie sack record, which I believe is 14 and a half sacks? Sure. Yeah. Because And also because he's got Ryan Kerrigan on the other side, who you have to decide who you want to double-team. And you're probably going to start off double-teaming Ryan Kerrigan. So you're looking at Chase Young versus uh, Andre Dillard on the left side of the Eagles' offensive line. That certainly could be a problem. I'm not going to say it can't be a problem. So perhaps that will have an impact on the Eagles' offensive success here in 2020. And uh, finally, at Poppy Wentz 11 asked, who has, in your opinion the best secondary in the NFC East. We like to criticize the Eagles secondary because certainly uh, it was it was not too great these last couple of years. They had flashes in 2019 late in the season, or pardon me, in 2018 late in the season after struggling massively. They pulled it together, and, and once they got healthy, started to play a whole lot better. Last year was was not great. It was it was obviously they had no shutdown cornerback on the outside and the safety position. Malcolm Jenkins did not have as good a season last year as he had had in seasons past. But when you look at the Eagles secondary compared to the rest of the NFC East, the Eagles probably have the best secondary out of all the teams in their division. Let's look at the Cowboys. They lost Byron Jones. That is a big loss for them. Now they drafted Trayvon Diggs in the second round. So he should start the season as CB3 or CB4 for Dallas, probably. Uh, and they've got Anthony Brown, Chidobi Awuzi, and Jordan Lewis. But while they've shown flashes, they, no one has stepped up to be the number one guy in that uh, in the cornerback room. Um, they have Xavier Woods at, at the safety position. He'll go with uh, HaHa Clinton Dixt, but that's not a great unit there. Is it better than the Eagles' safety position? Maybe. Because we don't know exactly what Jalen Mills is going to give them, and Rodney McLeod is Rodney McLeod. He's serviceable. He's he's good. He's stable. You want him back there, but he's not a star player. Um, you're looking at Washington. They brought in Ronald Darby to replace the fading Josh Norman, and then traded Quentin Dunbar. So Washington has weaknesses in their secondary. Ronald Darby was not a good football player for this team the last couple of years. He just wasn't. When he was healthy, he was not a good football player for this team. So I don't think he's a tremendous upgrade for Washington. And then the Giants, they just have a lot of holes in the secondary. That is a that is an absolute point of weakness for them, as is their defense as a whole. Although I think the Giants' front seven is, is a little bit more improved here uh, with some of the additions they've made this offseason. But neither the Cowboys, Washington, or the Giants have a shutdown cornerback. By trading for Darius Slay, and again, I would have preferred the Eagles to just go sign Byron Jones. It would have been it would have been cheaper in terms of trade capital. But they went out and they got a number one shutdown cornerback. And they have some pieces 
who have played well at the cornerback position. Avante Maddox in his rookie season was outstanding. Last year, not so great. Um, you have in Sidney Jones a guy who made a couple big plays at the end of the year last year. There's a lot of people calling for him to be a breakout a breakout player. I'm a guy who thinks that Sidney Jones can be a breakout player. I don't. I think. I think the odds are better than not that he has a better season and becomes a serviceable cornerback this year. But is is he going to be a pro bowler? Is he going to be a star player? Probably the odds are against it. Um, but you've got Darius Slay, who can shut down the number one cornerback of any team. I mean, the number one wide receiver of any team. You have a number one cornerback, which is something this team has not had in such a long time, and it means so much to a defense. So that helps out the whole rest of the secondary. It and and you know you've got you brought in some other guys like Will Parks, who who, who could provide some some depth in the secondary and to go along with Rodney McLeod, to go along with um, Jalen Mills, who you could you know Jalen Mills could also go back to playing cornerback if 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 things are really bad. So. The Eagles' secondary is kind of a muddled mix outside of Darius Slay. There's some potential there. Razul Douglas is not somebody that you love on the outside, but he's a serviceable number three or number four cornerback. There are some guys here that you can say, that you can think, okay, maybe this secondary can be a good unit. I do think it's the best secondary in the NFC East. That probably says more about the secondaries of the rest of the NFC East's teams, but the fact that the Eagles have a number one shutdown cornerback when Washington, Dallas, and New York do not, gives the Eagles a leg up. Now, here's the problem. One secondary doesn't go up against another secondary. The Eagles secondary is going to go up against the other team's wide receivers. Now, that's going to be fine against Washington and New York because outside of uh, outside of uh, Slayton for New York and outside of McLaurin for Washington, neither of those teams have a lot of talent. But when you look at the Dallas Cowboys, they're going to be a problem for pretty much every secondary in football. So whether or not the Eagles are going to be able to hold off uh, C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, that's uh, that remains to be seen. But um, yeah, I think the Eagles have the best secondary. So as we complain about the secondary or we raise questions about the secondary, certainly worth keeping in mind that the Eagles probably have the best secondary in the division. All right, folks, that's going to wrap things up here for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. Uh, again, folks, make sure that you are subscribed to the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. Most of you are. And if you are, please, the five-star ratings and leave a review. They are so helpful uh, in helping the, pod the, helping the podcast grow uh, on Apple Podcasts. So leave your, leave your comments and your, and your thoughts there as well on how we're doing. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to check out BleedingGreenNation.com every day for the latest Eagles news. We still have a lot going on even during the NFL's dead zone here as we get ready, hopefully, for the 2020 season. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy. P-G-N. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.